worst case scenario, you own a multi-million dollar property with an <laughs> right. ocean view in Maui <laughs> on a 30-year mortgage. And that's the worst case scenario and you're making money? And I'm like, oh yeah. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design and impact the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with my co-host, Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I am doing excellent. We just got back from a camping trip and I uh, am just excited that that will be the last one of the year. <laughs> we have gone camping a number of times ever since uh, you know we had the lift on the restrictions a little bit and we could kind of get out and move around. And, and uh, so I think starting in June, we've gone like now four or five times over the last couple of months. And uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm ready to hunker down and move on to like the next thing, the snow <laughs> and the snowboarding yes. and the Tahoe and all of that. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was, that was our weekend. So yeah. Yeah. Camp, camping is always an adventure. You just never know. <laughs> and then yeah. it, there's all the, the planning, the packing, and oh, then yes. on the off chance you like leave that one thing behind, but it's yes. always an adventure and the kids always have such a great time. So yes, but I did do that one thing. Cause you had mentioned the last time that when you went camping, that you took a nap in a hammock, yes. reading a book. And I was like, oh, I need to do <laughs> So this time I made it a point on Saturday. Uh-huh. I went to take a nap. It was not in a hammock, but it was in the tent and it was cold enough where it was, the sun was shining and just had that like nice little breeze and it was sort of warm, but uh, not too hot and, yes. and not too cold. And I uh, just took a short, like half an hour nap. And it's like, who does that anymore? Uh, like I never do that, yeah. but there's something uh, about that, that 20 minutes or that 30 minutes. That's like so special. So I did. Yes. Do that. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear yeah. that. That's so yeah. great. Well, speaking of life by design and creating a life that you love to live, our um, guest today is none other than Brandon Turner, VP of Bigger Pockets, co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and author of four books, I think. And he is just a complete inspiration. And I wanted to ask you actually, before we talk about his episode, how did you actually stumble upon Bigger Pockets in the first place? I I think I was just doing like a search on the internet. I we were selling one of our last properties here in the Bay Area. And we we're trying to figure out what the next step was, right? And and traditionally we were thinking, okay, stocks and bonds and the traditional, you know, financial advice that you get from advisors. And I just knew there was something, I was like, no, that that just can't be it. There's got to be something else. And I think I don't know, I searched for some and you do this, you've probably done it before. A lot of people probably have. It's like some weird one-off question about like how to handle a flip or like how, who do you talk to or like something you Google it. And then like that question will have been asked in a forum in BP and it pulled it up. And I was like, oh, huh, this is interesting. Click there and down into the rabbit hole mm-hmm. I went. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that was how I found it, it was June I think May or June, um, we had just listed our property on to put it on the market in 2016. So it was four years ago. So yeah, and I know that both of us listen to a lot of Bigger Pockets mm-hmm. podcasts, and you listen to them when you were commuting. Is that right? 
I did. Yeah. I would commute, you know, I was commuting two to three hours a day and that turned my car into like a little library and would listen to all my podcasts on a daily basis. And Bigger Pockets was really one of the ones that, you know, made a lot of introductions in terms of all the different spectrum of things you could do in real estate and gave me an opportunity to sort of see, okay, what is, what resonates really with me? And, um, and if anyone out there listens to the BP podcast, you know that Josh and Brandon, those were, I don't think Josh records anymore, but those guys were, were characters and it was a lot of fun. I I almost had to like fast forward the first 20 minutes because it would just be like Brandon giving Josh a hard time. I know it was so fun. um, But yeah, it was, uh, I learned so much from, from that podcast and actually reached out to a lot of people. I would hear Mm -hmm, on the podcast mm -hmm. and I would just reach out, Hey, heard you on the podcast and, you know, want to see if there's any way we might be able to work together or how can I help you? You know, I did a lot of that in the beginning. So if anybody out there is thinking, Hey, I want to connect with more people in the real estate world. All of our guests on the show will give you their information at the end of the show on how to contact them. Some are, some of them are even brave enough to give their cell phone number out, give them a call. They wouldn't do that if they didn't want to hear from you, you know, so give them a call, see how you can help them, see who you know that you can connect them to be a connector and network. And that's, that's a good way to get started and jump into the game. Yeah, absolutely. And in this episode, he dives into so much good stuff about his story, which I think a lot of times you don't hear about his story. He focuses on teaching and giving and talking about his experience and his wisdom, but he talks about some of the, you know, like how he came up with the term house hacking or burr Mm -hmm. and um, cash growth fund and why all that, all of that is so important and his aspirations going into this and how he fell into it, how he's helping his kids to save for their future through real estate investing and so much more. Yeah, it was so the last, there was the the first question we asked him, our, la, our three questions we always ask around investing for good, but his first answer was the one that really resonated with me. And it was an answer unlike any we've ever had. And he had said that, you know, what is real estate? What is one way that real estate is helping you to live a better life? And he had said that it has allowed him to create a community around him and create this culture of like, you know, people coming together and like working really hard and like doing everything at the top of their game and they're raising all kinds of money for their fun. And, and that's, that really resonated with me because I feel like that was so much of, of, you know, us coming together and what we're always talking about wanting to build is that community around us and, and, you know, having a certain culture around real estate investing, which it sounds like he's been pretty successful at. And so I loved, I loved that answer. So, yeah, it's all about that tribe and really showing your true self, being able to bring your true self to work Mm -hmm. and be your true self all the time. And so, yeah, I think that was great. And he, it comes out in everything that he does, every podcast he's done, every YouTube video he's made, he's just so passionate and it really comes from deep within him. So for all our listeners out there, you are going to love this episode, but but before we hop in, if you are new to the world of real estate syndications in particular, be sure to grab a free hardcover copy of our book, Investing for Good. It's a great companion guide to this podcast, and we'll teach you everything you need to know about real estate syndication so you can decide if passive investing is right for you. To get your free copy, just text the word book to 41404. And with that, let's hop into our conversation with the Brandon Turner. 
Brandon, welcome to the show. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you. It's uh, uh, it's like the one cloudy day in Maui. So now I'm you know glad to be indoor recording. <laughs> yes. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. Now, Brandon, I don't think there is an avid real estate investor out there who doesn't know your name. You certainly played a big part in Julie's and my individual investing journeys. And I know that you've inspired countless other real estate investors as well. You are the vice president of Bigger Pockets, co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, author of four books, including the book on rental property investing and how to invest in real estate. And not to mention that you have a lot of experience personally investing in rental properties and flips and you do it all. So to start, Brandon, take us back to the Brandon Turner before Bigger Pockets. Did you, I'm curious, did you grow up around real estate and entrepreneurship or how did real estate first come to be in your life? Yeah. So I, I started headed towards law school. So I was like going to be a lawyer. And I remember reading a book at the time, uh, The Firm by John Grisham. Have you guys read that? Have you read that? Mm-hmm. It's, okay. Yeah. So, right. So it's about like, you know, a lawyer and works for the mob or whatever. It's anyway, it has nothing. It's a totally fiction book. But the, John Grisham, he used to be a lawyer and, and he makes fun of lawyers in kind of a subtle way throughout all of his books. And it's basically this like story of like you work like 80 or 90 or 100 hours a week for decades and then. You end up with like, you know, four marriages and a drinking problem and whatever, oh, getting chased by the mob. And and, then and you, you were like, sign die. me up yeah. for that. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I was like, what am I like, what, what am I doing with my life? Like, that doesn't sound right. And you're like, there's like this thing I feel like inside of everybody, like this, like, like you I couldn't put words to it, but like this this feeling that there had to be more to life than just like get the job that you don't like drive to work an hour or two every day each way and like be miserable until you can be like 70 and retire. Like it just, it just doesn't fit well with most of us yet. Most people never figure out like that there is another way. So they just accept that for life. Right. So anyway, I uh, stumbled across real estate investing and figured out that there's a better way than that. So that's how I got into it was, uh, was John Grisham telling me, not to be a lawyer. So I, uh, oh. I didn't, I went and bought a house. <laughs> well, instead. we owe, we owe a big one to John Grisham <laughs> for handing you over to the real estate world. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. About... I got to get him. Yeah, I got to interview him someday. That, that'll be yeah. an interview I got to do. That's, that's on there my you list go. now. <laughs> there you go. So, okay. So dive a little deeper. So you stumbled into sure. it. So what does yep. that mean? Did you go out and immediately you were like, you closed the, the book and you were like, okay, I'm going to buy real estate. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My very first deal was an 85 unit. I'm just kidding. No, I started actually. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, I didn't yeah. remember that part of the story. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I started, uh, actually I, I was going to rent, this is kind of how I stumbled into it. I was going to rent a property, uh, because I needed a place to live. And I had some buddies from work that we, I mean, I was making barely minimum wage and I was, you know, thinking, well, I'll grab like two or three guys from work. We'll all rent a house together and that'll cut down the costs. And so I was actually bowling with a friend of mine's sister and my a friend of mine and his sister was there and my wife was there. It wasn't wife at the time, but we were, uh, in, I think we we're engaged. Anyway, this person, this agent says, you know, I said, do you know anything about renting? Cause they were a real estate agent. And she said, well, why don't you just buy a house? It's cheaper than renting. And I said, there's no way that's true. And she's like, no, you can rent a house. You can buy a house cheaper than renting. And I, and this is 2000 and seven, like six, seven, somewhere in there. And so she's like, call my lender, talk to my lender, see if you can get approved. So I call the lender and I'm like, all right, 
Uh, they're like, well, what's your credit like? And I'm like, I don't have any credit. And they're like, well, what's your income like? I'm like, barely above minimum wage. And they're like, well, yeah, have any, any experience in real estate or anything? I'm like, nothing. They're like, great, you're approved for, you know, whatever, $300,000. <laughs> this was, right, this was right. 2000 and uh, 2006, right. seven, right? They gave loans to any, they, like literally like the loan was like, let's just say that you make half a million a year. I'm like, you can do that? Like, yeah, it's called a no doc loan. You just, you state how much you make and then they they give you a loan for that. I'm like, okay. So anyway, that was a terrible idea. But anyway, I didn't take advantage fully of it. I just bought an $80,000 house, uh, rented out the bedrooms to some buddies, lived for free. And then I'm sitting in church of all places. I'm sitting in church a few months later. Uh, I'm probably six months into owning that house and I'd been fixing it up. And I mean, I didn't know anything about fixing up, but I figured it out along the way got a book from Home Depot, uh, learning how to do stuff. Anyway, so I'm sitting in church and my mind's just wandering because that's what people do in church. And uh, I started thinking about <laughs> backpacking Europe. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to backpack Europe for a year? And I'm like, well, what do I need to backpack Europe for a year? And I was like, probably about 20 grand, which today is ridiculous. But I think, it, you know, when you're 20, you can go backpack Europe for a year on 20 grand. So I was like, well, how do I make 20 grand? And I was like, I could sell my house. And I wonder if I, I wonder if I can make that. So I talked to a real, same real estate agent and she's like, oh yeah, you'd actually make a little bit more than that if I sold. So uh, I sold my house and I made, yeah, $25,000, I think it was. And all of that I used for my wedding instead. And so I got married instead of going to Europe, which was a good trade-off. Oh. Uh, and <laughs> that, that was my first like, like, wow, I can like, this is a thing. People do this, this is real estate. And at the time I started then thinking, well, I should look more into this. I started watching the flipping TV shows, started reading books on real estate investing and ended up buying a duplex because now I got to live somewhere. So I bought a duplex and I lived in one half and rented the other. uh, And I learned the power of rental properties from that deal. Yes. And you famously coined the term house hacking. How did you, (laughs) did that just like fall from the sky into your head one day? Well, it was from a blog post I wrote. I, there was the post called how to hack your housing and get paid to live for free. And it was like just my story of how I bought that duplex. And that post became really popular on bigger pockets. And then from there, we just started calling it house hacking. And yeah, now everyone in the world calls it house hacking. It's kind of cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's pretty neat. cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's how it started. And I, I I bought that first duplex and then just started collecting these little multifamily units from there on. And I buy a duplex, triplex, fiveplex, fourplex, and then tried to flip some houses at the same time to make money and made a lot of mistakes and just kept growing. And this wasn't Maui, to be clear, right? This was not Maui. <laughs> no, this was uh this was Grays Harbor, Washington, which is like the lowest income area of Washington state. So you could buy a house there for under hundred grand. Still today you could buy a house for 150, maybe a little less. And so it all, it, it all started with that. So you started so with curious. the model. Oh, go ahead. I'm curious, how did you go from the one, the first house that you did and yeah. scale? This is a question I love asking people on the show because I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with. They they think, sure, yeah, I can buy one, maybe two or three, yeah. but how do I go? Because then you start with, you're like, I did a triplex, I did a duplex, and then I did yeah. this. How do you go from like one or two to, to many? Was it yeah. just like, you know, was it like, oh, you just had a pile of money sitting there or did you do like creative strategies with like lending and stuff like seller financing. What did you do? Yeah. I inherited like $4 million when I, I'm just kidding. No, yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you took the easy a, route. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what everybody, that, what's funny is like, that's what everybody wants to hear though, because like, when yeah. you, like you hear like somebody who's scaled up, you're like, it's easier to think they must've just had a lot of money right. or they must've just had a rich family or inherited yep. it because then to say that like, otherwise they got to look negatively upon themselves. Right. So people love to hear like, 
you know, how they got lucky. But no, what I did actually is I bought a house to flip my very first like official flip, not counting the one I lived in. Uh, I bought this house. I fixed it up. And then the market crashed. It was like 07, 08. And I couldn't sell it. And so I went to a bank and I just was like, well, I got this house and it's, you know, it's really nice. And I, I just need a loan on it. So I rented it out and then I refinanced it. So I rented it out because I couldn't make the payments anymore because I'm, you know, yeah, making barely minimum wage. Right. And so I, I rented out just to be able to afford to survive. Uh, the problem is I had used a hard money loan for that property. So a hard money Ooh. loan, for those who don't know, it means I yeah, borrowed money from a short term high interest rate lender. So I had a, I had a two year loan. Not many hard money lenders go two years. This guy would. So two years, uh, 10% interest, which wasn't crazy for hard money, but 10% fee up front. So uh, it was 10 points, we call it in the industry, right? So I paid 10 points, a 10% interest, and then I had two years to pay it back to this, to this guy. So anyway, so I rent the thing out. And then I go to a bank and I'm like, I got, I'm running out of time here. I got to do something. Can I get a loan from the bank? And they're like, well, you got a nice house. You're making good, you know, cash flow on it. Like you have good money coming in from rent. Yeah, we'll give you a loan. And they gave me a loan that paid off the entire Hardman lender and all the money I put into the rehab. And like, I, I basically got out with, I got this rental property with no money down essentially. And I'm like, that's a really cool strategy. And today we call it the Burr strategy, the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Uh, but back then I just called it like I got lucky. I thought, um, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that was a thing people did. And so that's what I did. So, so I just kept doing that. Actually, I did a number of these kind of, I mean, I did a lot of creative strategies to buy these deals, but a lot of it has been that Burr strategy. I'll use hard money to buy stuff and then I'll fix it up and then I'll go and refinance it to get my money back out. So that's the one strategy. And then two, I'll, I'll wrap it in a story this triplex came in the market. It was an amazing looking triplex, uh, three units needed, uh, needed a bit of work, but not anything crazy. Like I needed a roof on one of the units and uh, a little bit of paint and carpet. So it came in the market, super good deal. I didn't have the money. So what I did is I went and talked to a friend of mine that we've been talking about real estate just casually for a long time. He went to my church and I just said, Hey, I got this cool deal. Uh, do you, and I just need somebody who can come with a down payment. Do you know anybody who would want to do that? And of course the whole time I'm, I'm thinking, Hopefully he will. And of course he says, well, I might. Uh, that's actually one of my favorite tricks in real estate is to ask people, instead of directly asking people, will yeah. you invest my deal? It's, do you know anybody? It takes the awkwardness out of it and gives them the totally. opportunity to step up, right? Uh -huh. So anyway, so he says, yeah, actually we might be interested. So they funded the down payment. I brought the deal. And that became like the next, like it, between those two strategies, the Burr strategy, which was I use short-term money, buy it, and then refinance it later. And then partnerships where the partner brings the money uh, those two strategies have really guided everything. I've, most of everything I've done the last now 14 years of real estate, including what I'm doing today, syndications. We now do you know these large syndications where we raise the down payment from uh, from private investors, and then we get a bank loan on the rest. Same strategy, and then we burr them. So like, we're, I'm doing the same thing that I've been doing when I buy single family houses. You're just doing it now with eight million dollar properties instead of hundred thousand dollar properties, which is just a fascinating nature of real estate is how it scales like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love all of that. I love the. This is what I love about real estate is the ability to get so creative. And I yeah. remember when I used to listen to you on the BP show way back in the day, it was just all these like little nuances that if you don't know about it, can mean the yeah. difference between getting a deal done. And not getting a deal done or the difference between, you know, making a hundred K and making only 50 K on a deal. And it is yep. just, I love, I love all of that. So yeah, I tell remember us a little the bit very, about. 
I was going to say, ahead. I still remember the very first time that I heard you mention the burr strategy. I was out walking my dog. I had my earbuds in. And you kept talking about the burr strategy. I was like, what is this thing? It sounds like it's like pretty lucrative and pretty successful. And I go home and I Google it and I'm like, B, how do you spell it? I'm like, B-U-R-R strategy? And I'm like trying to find it. And then, but luckily it came up. So that it was life changing. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. What's funny is like, so I like putting, this is like my marketing side. I do a lot of marketing for bigger pockets, right? Marketing is largely taking other ideas and putting a new name on it. Right. So like people have been doing burr investing for years. I just like, I wrote a blog post one time and I was like, how do I explain what I, what I do? And so I was like, well, I buy properties that I rehab them. Right? And like, nobody had a word to describe it. So just a quick tip for everybody out there, whether you're trying to raise money for your own real estate deals or anything, like if you can take a concept that takes more than five words to explain or more than three words and then make a word for it, that becomes your, like you get known for that thing. And so mm -hmm. even in our fund, we do that. Like, like I have a real estate fund where we buy mostly mobile home parks and then we, we fix them up. And the idea being that they are going to cash flow from day one, but also they're going to have long-term growth potential with appreciation. So I was like, I mean, that just took me, what, 30 words to explain? So what mm -hmm. today we call it a cash growth fund. A cash growth fund is a fund that provides both cash flow and growth opportunities despite the market. All of a sudden, like I'm the cash growth guy and it looks like I have this thing that we do different than everybody. And in reality, it's, it's I don't want to say it's not true because it is true, but it's a marketing angle that makes everyone go, oh, yeah, I like that. That's cool. I'm going to support them. I'm going to invest in that because they got a cash. Yeah, they don't have a cash growth fund over there. They got one over there. <laughs> the reality is like, That's it's so it's smart. just like we're good at simplifying things to things that people mm -hmm. can hold on to and grasp. That's what Burr was. Stupid name Burr. Like, I had no idea that was going to catch on. Like, it just, it, it's silly. And so everyone remembers it. So anyway, there's some marketing tips in there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's so brilliant. That's so smart to just... I think that's so needed in the world today, especially in real estate, because there's so many complex topics and yeah. it's so there's so much jargon and terminology. If you can simplify and distill it down into something that's easy for people to grasp and easy to understand, they're going to take it and run with it. Yeah. I love it. 100%. Julie, I, I think I cut yeah, you so off, so I, feel free. Dive back yeah, in. Yeah, no, I wanted to talk about how you moved because this is something else that I think a lot of people wonder about. And, you know, for us as well, Annie and I went from the world of like single family homes and smaller duplexes and, and just moved straight into doing the big dog stuff, right? Like moving into syndication. So I know you were doing the flipping and the rental properties for quite a while. How many yeah. years was that before you transitioned into, into syndication? Yeah, really. Uh, so I started when I was 21. I'm 35 now. So my first syndication when I was 34. So what's that? 13 years to okay, get in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And you guys have seen this, I'm sure in your own life, how like real estate, a lot of people wonder, let me, let me preface it with this. When people get into real estate, they wonder, how am I ever going to get enough units to quit my job or to be rich mm -hmm. or financially free? Right. That's going to take forever. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, if you buy a house and then another house, and then a few years later, you buy a house and then maybe you buy a duplex and go back to a house. If you build, that's called linear growth, right? You build like one at a time. But if you grow exponentially, you buy that house, maybe then go to the duplex, maybe get comfortable there, then move to the five or 10 unit, then get comfortable there, move up to the 50 unit or 20 or whatever. That is, you're growing outside your comfort zone. That's how you scale. And what's cool is like, it doesn't mean you start at a hundred unit or 500 mm -hmm. unit or whatever, but you can, you don't have to stay small if you want to scale up. So if you just doubled every year, like starting with a single family, you would be into the hundreds of units by the time you got to like year six or seven. 
mm-hmm. just by going from you know single family to duplex to fourplex to eight, 16, 32, 64. So yeah, it's, a, it's just kind of a cool concept. I call that the stack. Again, trying to put a, a simple phrase to a concept. It's called the stack. You grow, you stack each year. You just grow outside your comfort zone until you have a portfolio. Is that what you did like before you moved into syndications pretty much? Pretty much. I mean, my first, you know, I started with a single family. I mean, it's not perfect, like, you know, duplex, fourplex, duplex, yeah. but it's like, yeah, I started, uh, you know, the single family. Then I did get the duplex later about a triplex, a fourplex. I got a five unit in there. I got comfortable with that range. And then from there, I went to a 24 unit. I liked the mm-hmm. 24 unit. I held that for a number of years. Then I sold that and I bought a 50 unit mobile home park and a 24 unit apartment, another 24 unit. So now I went from 24 to mm-hmm. now I had I turned that to 75 ish. And then that also was kind of a, a teaser of syndication because what I did is on the mobile home park, I did what's called a tenant in common, a TIC, which is where we basically, me and two partners bought the deal together, but all separately. It's kind of some confusing legal stuff, but uh, it's not a partnership. It is a tick and where we each own a percentage of that mobile home park. So it's almost like a syndicate. It's like syndication light, no registration, no SEC stuff. <laughs> it's just me and some partners. So yeah, that was a, and then from there, so then I had a hundred units a year and a half ago. I had a hundred units today. I have uh 900 and something. And so it just shows that exponential growth mm-hmm. when you go outside your comfort zone. So I'm curious for people out there who are wondering, Hey, this all sounds great. How do I go from regular traditional financing and moving over to like commercial financing? Right. So anything over like four units, it changes, right? Like how did, how does, can you tell us like really quickly how that works for somebody who might be thinking, well, I don't have enough money to, you know, how am I going to qualify for that? Cause I don't think it could, they qualify on like you personally, right? Don't they look yeah. at the asset itself or is it both or talk to us about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they definitely look at, they look at the asset stronger than they look at the person. Uh, there mm-hmm. is like net worth requirements and, and, and how much money you have in reserves requirements. And honestly, mm-hmm. like, I don't have, I don't have the reserves to be able to, or the net worth to be able to get all the loans that we're getting right now in these big parks. So uh, what I do is I brought in people that were wealthier than me. And so I have a, what's called a key principle or KP mm-hmm. on our deals, which is somebody who has a lot of net worth and has a lot of income or, you know, at cash in a bank account. So we can qualify for these larger loans. So yeah, they look much stronger because they know, I mean, like if my mortgage payment, let's call it $20,000 on one of my properties, they know that no matter how good I'm doing in life, I'm probably not going to be able to make a $20,000 a month mortgage payment for long. So <laughs> it's, they look at the team. Do they like the team that's there? Are they experienced? Are they knowledgeable? Do they know what they're doing? Which is further reason why that stack method, the scaling is so helpful because you build the experience that you're going to need later on by going mm-hmm. through that. Uh, you know, guys like Grant Cardone are real big on like, just go buy the hundred unit right away, go do it. And it's, it's possible, but there's so much value in at least getting started with the deals that you can do by yourself. So you kind of learn the game mm-hmm. uh, before you jump into the bigger stuff. But you know, if you have the KP, if you have the experience, then you can definitely jump into the bigger stuff and qualify for those mortgages. And how do you go about finding a KP? Is that like, they're just yeah. hanging out at yacht clubs and you go there, have some drinks, sit down next to them and say, Hey, got a real estate dealer. I mean, like, how do you find people like that? Cause I think for a lot of people, that's kind of, it feels very elusive. Like where in the world would I ever find somebody that would want to invest with me, especially if maybe they don't have experience and what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I would say a couple of thoughts. One, uh, if you hang out on a yacht a long, long time, yeah, you will find them at a yacht club. <laughs> but the best KPs, I think, tend to be real estate investors who are already super successful and been doing it for a long time. Uh, and, I mean, think about it this way. Think about it in the KP's mind. Like 
You are a super successful multi-million dollar real estate investor. You've been slaving away for the last 15 years, building up your portfolio. You got a few thousand units. You're successful. You got a lot of net worth and you want to go on more cruises to Alaska. Maybe cruises is a bad example right now, but you want a more like a more passive life. So somebody offers you a chunk of their big deal, their big you know general partnership, just to sign your name. Like that sounds like an amazing opportunity if the KP trusts that person, right? It all comes down to this trust. And so the, the question is, how do you build trust with people who have right. money? And right. I think that, yeah, it's, it's networking to a large degree. It's doing the smaller deals. It's hanging around. It's answering questions. It's having a personal brand. Uh, it doesn't, you, know, you don't have to have you know, a million Instagram followers, but if you have just people who know and like and trust you online, you start building that. Having a podcast definitely helps. And then just, it's the same thing. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say this is the same thing for people trying to do, you know, that triplex I mentioned earlier. I brought in a partner mm-hmm. from my church, right? Like, it's the same thing whether you're looking for that guy or you're looking for the KP on your $8 million, you know, apartment complex. It's the same principles. Do you have some knowledge? Are you experienced? Are you out there networking? Are you talking about real estate with everyone you know? Uh, yeah. Are you a trustworthy person? How you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. KPs know that. Uh, so if somebody sends me, Somebody wanted me on a KP to KP, wanted me to KP on their deal. Like if there were somebody I knew and like and trust, I think it'd be an awesome gig. Like mm-hmm. that, that'd be amazing. But how I got to know and like and trust them. So they better be in building a relationship with me. I mean, like I do, for example, I did a, I did a mastermind group. It was like 20 people. They paid five grand to come out to Maui last year. We hung out for the week and we did some amazing masterminding. Like that was an investment for these people. But any of those 20 people today, if they asked me to KP for them in a, in a second, I would do it. Right. So they invested right. in something that I was at. Now it doesn't even have to be my event. Like maybe I'm at another event and they're there and we got drinks and we hung out and we hit it off. Right. I would potentially work with them. So it, getting out there, talking, growing, networking, it's cliche advice, but it really works. Like you just got to build that mm-hmm. reputation. Yeah. So you're saying I have to get out from behind my screen it and helps. go actually talk to people. <laughs> it, de- it definitely helps. Or, or honestly, like this sounds, sounds ridiculous, but I'm sure you guys have noticed it by hosting a podcast. So podcasting, I believe podcasting builds trust and credibility at a scale unmatched in human history. Like, because it's yeah. even better than TV, right? Like if I were to invest it, let, let's say I, let's say I've been watching a TV show, a flipping TV show, and I watch this family flipping uh, houses for years. And I've also been listening to a podcast for years of a house flipper. Who would I give my money to? A hundred percent to the podcast person because mm-hmm. podcasts, when you listen to people, it builds trust and credibility so much better than anything else, including television. So just like, and it's, I'm not saying it's right or right or wrong either. I mean, like the fact that people are, I mean, I've raised what 15 or $20 million in the past year off almost nothing, but the fact that they've heard me interview people on a podcast, like mm-hmm. that's such amazing trust that people are putting into me and my team because of, because, because I have a, a voice and they trust me because they've heard me so many times because of how you do anything is how you do everything. And so they, they, they see how I run the podcast and the questions I ask. And so that gets, so anyway, that podcasting is a great way to start. If you don't want to get out behind the camera or behind the computer, that's a way to do it uh, while still hiding behind it a little bit. Well, speaking of yeah, podcast I'm- and bigger pockets, how did that come? When in this, when in your stack did bigger pockets yeah. enter the picture? Yeah. Uh, so I bought that 24 unit I mentioned. Uh, it was 24 units in Aberdeen, Washington. Uh, I got that on a super creative finance way. Like it was like a lease option that went into seller financing that went into like, I borrowed money 
from a line of credit that my dad had. And I gave him half the equity someday in exchange for me using 50 grand of his home equity line of credit to be able to pull. It was like this and this and this and this, but I pulled it off because I wanted it that bad. Because once I bought that, all of a sudden I was making like three, three, three to four thousand a month in cash flow. And when you're 25 at the time, I think I was like 25 or 24. When you're 24, 25, and you're making three grand a month in Aberdeen, Washington, where like it's like the cheapest place to live in the world, like you're you're retired. Like, I mean, like that's like level one financial freedom. Now you can't live in San Francisco off of three grand a month, probably, but I could. So I quit my job at the time. I, I got a job at a bank for a while. I quit the job at the bank. And then I sat on the couch for like six months and I was like, I'm retired, financial independence, baby, this is done. And I ended up just sitting on the couch for a long time and then realizing that was going to be a really boring life to spend the next 60 years doing nothing, living on three grand a month. So uh, I started just like figuring out, well, what do I want to do next? And I was like, well, it'd be fun to maybe like talk about what I'm doing with real estate. So I started a blog and started talking about it, became friends with Josh Dorkin, the founder of Bigger Pockets, because I was, uh, you know, guest writing for him. And then one day I said, Hey Josh, we should start a podcast. And he's like, no. And I was like, no, we should start a podcast together. And he's like, no. And, uh, that's Josh's like MO is like, always say no to everything. That way you only, you have to be, you have to talk him into the good idea. This is actually a tip for everybody. I love this about Josh <laughs> is Josh's default is always no. It always has been no. And as a result, if I want to do anything, I had to convince him and make my case. Right. So in that way, like, because everybody else, like, I'm so bad at this. People ask me to do a million things. I'm always like, yeah, sure. My default is yes, mostly, right? <laughs> and like, when your default is less yes in life, you don't accomplish anything. So Josh made, taught me the default no. So I finally talked him into it and we started the podcast. And our goal was within two years was to be in the top hundred of all business podcasts. Uh, and then week one, we hit like number four or something like that. So it's, uh, it's been crazy since then. Yeah, well, we know that story real well, don't we, Annie? <laughs> I'm always like, no, 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 no. terrible idea, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. how can I? What yep. creative ways can I think? How can I repackage this idea? <laughs> That's funny. That's exactly it. You need you need that, like that in a, in a kind of a, yeah. in a partnership or in a, in a relationship. You need that somebody to put the brakes on a little bit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love that. Well, thank goodness you guys started the podcast. And it's so funny because I remember earlier on the podcast, you guys were very quiet and it was very like, hey, welcome to the Bigger Pockets yeah. show. And then like, you know, and then by like episode like 100, it was like, what's going on? It was like yeah. wild and craziness. So yeah. Yeah, you find your That's voice, awesome. don't you, over time? Like totally. I, can't, I can't, I can't go back and listen to the old shows. I'm like, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> but whatever. They get you to, it's the, the early stuff you do gets you to where you are today, whether it's real estate, Absolutely. whether it's podcasting, blogging, whatever. So it's people who never take the the risk on the early stuff is why they never mm -hmm. get the success they want later on because they're too afraid to yeah. try to make a fool of themselves for a little bit. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about mobile home parks and why you decided to transition over there and what you see kind of moving forward. It's an area that we've kind of dabbled in a little bit, but don't know enough about it to feel comfortable. And we kind of pulled back and we just focus on multifamily now, but tell us a little bit about the mobile home park industry and why you moved there. Yeah, sure. So the biggest reason I went there, I would like to preface it with this when I talk about mobile home parks. The reason I chose it is because I chose it. And what I mean by that is <laughs> it's one of those like, I there's a million niches at work. And I like it, that you could find the niche of like self-storage. You could do apartments. You could do nice apartments, bad apartments. You could do vacation rentals. It all works. 
Uh, you have to follow uh, like the fire that like, is inside. Like there's that thing inside you. Just like I knew real estate was powerful. Whenever I would talk to people about mobile home parks, I was just always like, that sounds cool. I want to do that. That'd be fun. There was a certain fire that was like, that just made sense to me. So first of all, mm-hmm. I, I, the reason it's the best thing for me is because it's the thing I chose. Mm-hmm. I could have chosen another one. And if I would have gone all in on those, I'm sure I'd be doing well in those as well. So it's, it's more about, it's like there's great quote in the book, traction. It's more important that you decide than what you decide. And I've always been, I I just love that quote. So that said, there are things I like about mobile home parks. Primarily, I like solving big problems. And when I look at America in general, over the next 20, 30 years, what's a huge problem we have to solve is that that growing gap of, of rich versus poor and how most of the new development in the world has been built at the high end, yet the low end is growing in population, which means that when I look down the road, we are going to see a massive problem that just compounds every year of how do we afford, how do people afford to live anymore in this country? And so I like to be in an area where there's a problem because then if I can have a solution for it, then I think long-term that's going to be a good solution no matter what the economy does, right? So long-term, I want to be in uh, that. So anyway, so I like that, that it's a low-income situation. I like the fact that tenants in our properties own their own homes. So we don't buy properties and rent them out. We buy or we don't rent out the homes, we buy the land and we rent out the land to homeowners, which means they stay way longer. Uh, I like that because also besides them staying forever, I like that I don't have to fix up their units. When their toilet doesn't work, they go to Ace Hardware and buy a new toilet flapper and they go put it in. I don't have to pay $300 for a plumber to do a $12 fix. They do it themselves, Mm -hmm. which is kind of nice. So there's, there's that. There's also the fact that you buy them semi uh, vacant. Like most of what we buy is between 20 and 40% empty which allows wow. us to fill in new homes. Uh, so it's, we call it infill. You infill the homes and then sell them off or you can do a rent to own. And now that is just increases the value of your property because uh, you know the net, net operating income increases so much when you add a new property in there. So we can dramatically increase the value of a park that has nothing to do with the economy, which is what goes back to cash growth, right? I want a property that cash flows from day one and that will grow from appreciation regardless of the economy because we're not mm-hmm. we're not relying on natural appreciation we're relying on forced appreciation to get us there so that's kind of why i like mobile home parks that sounds so risky buying a plate like a piece of land at 20 40 percent vacant how do you yeah. like how how do you do that like and know with like confidence and say okay i know i'm gonna buy this at 20 percent vacant yeah. and then and then we're gonna be able to you know get it fully occupied because when i think of a, a property that's that vacant it's even a multifamily, when you're buying something that's you know 80 percent vacant or 70 percent vacant usually yep. there's a reason why right yes. and 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 so you have to be able to identify the reason and know that it's a fixable reason so it can't be yep. something that's like oh no way that it's no matter what we do it's not going to change that so what are some of those things that you see or that you're able to sort of change around to make it take it from 20 to 40 percent to 80 or 90 or 100 percent occupant yeah occupied. yeah good question so the main thing we look for is we look for areas first of all it, it, the location has to have the population to support it we know if there's a large mm-hmm. enough population there will always be people looking for low-income housing in an area so we look for areas that have a higher population and a, a little bit higher price point for houses that's one of the things that we all because if you can buy a house for 50 grand you're probably not going to go live in a mobile home uh, but if mm-hmm. you if it costs 200 grand to buy a house well now a mobile home looks a lot more enticing for people who only work minimum wage or they work at walmart or whatever so mm-hmm. There's a few like demographic type and, and, and regional type things we look for, uh, but also 
adding units to a property, a couple things. One, I don't consider it that risky because unlike multifamily, where you buy a multifamily that has a lot of vacancy, mm-hmm. like the seller knows like you can, like when they value their property, they're valuing it as if it was mostly filled up. Like they all do that. It's kind of assumed like if it's, if it's, for example, let's say a multifamily is half empty right now. You're not going to get half off on that apartment complex. There's nobody's going to do that, especially in this market. They're going to say, well, you're still going to pay. You're probably going to lose money until you lease it up, but it's a fixer upper. So that's what you're going to do. In mobile mm-hmm. home parks, though, we buy properties based on what, what homes are there. So we, it cash flows and makes money from day one, whether or not we never fill a home or not. So it still is a good investment even without filling a property. So that helps de-risk it a little bit. Now that said, most of our equity, or sorry, appreciation is comes from infill. So how do we do that? We chose that as our problem. You see, in real estate, you really want to specialize on a like a problem. You want to be a good, like the solver of a problem, no matter what. Let's say you want to flip houses. Great. Become really good at flipping a certain type of house. Like, oh yeah, we love those townhouses. I love flipping condos. I want to flip houses with bad foundations because that's what my like that's a problem that I know how to fix. So we chose. On mobile home parks, we chose infilling as the problem that we're going to become good at. Uh, and money's made in solving problems, right? So we built a team of people who were like, I believe, I, I really believe we're probably the best infill experts in the country on mobile home parks because that's that's what we do. And we want to be that that team. So we've niched down so much that that's a problem now that we're really good at solving. So we buy homes in numerous different ways. We move them in. We may have, we're even looking at like building our own in-house team to like move homes across from our different parks where we need homes at. Like that's how, how invested we are in the infill process. So again, it has nothing to do with like, we could have chosen another problem. We could have chosen to be good at septic tanks or chosen to be good at bad management, which I think we're pretty good at fixing bad management too. But anyway, so finding the problem and then we become the expert at solving that problem gives us an edge. I love that. I feel like that's so much of like what Annie and I discovered too. We knew we wanted to jump into multifamily. We knew it was the industry we wanted to get into, but we sort of, you know, decided that within, you know, the overall team, we found our sort of specialty and what we wanted to do. We've been really good at that and really successful at that. So I think that's really good advice for people who, you know, are thinking, well, what, what area of real estate should I get into? And then really identifying within that one niche, like what about this whole process is something that really resonates with me and something that I think I've be really good at. So yeah. I think that's great advice. We'll get back to our conversation with Brandon in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. 
We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Brandon Turner. Okay. So I, there is one thing I definitely want to talk about. So I, cause I've been reading your story and following your story for so long. You've got two kids now. Yeah. Tell us, I know there was one blog post that you wrote about something that you were doing for college savings for your daughter. I believe her name is Rosie. So tell us that story because that was so um, inspiring for me to read. And it's something that I've also done now for my kids. And it's something that when I talk about that, they're like, wow, that's, that's so cool. That's so amazing. So I want you to just quickly share that story about what you're doing there with your kids and maybe anything else that you might be doing too. Cause I know you have a, a second baby now too. So sure. yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I really like the strategy a lot where, uh, and I like to, I like to pretend that I made it up at the beginning. I knew what I was doing. I didn't, I kind of stumbled into it. And what I mean by that is, uh, <laughs> the week Rosie was born, she was born at the end of May, a few years ago, uh, the week she was born, we also closed on a fourplex that we had been trying to buy for a while. So we closed on it that same week. And I realized as we closed on it, I was like, I could actually like set this up on a mortgage to be paid off by the time she goes to college. So my loan, instead of paying it off in 30 years, I could just accelerate the payments, pay a little more every month and pay it off in 18 years. So that's what I did. Why 18 years? Because in 18 years, Rosie's going to be going off to college and that property then, which, you know, at the time it'll be worth probably th- between three and $400,000. It'll be paid off to nothing. So I got this property worth three or 400 grand. I'm going to owe nothing on it. Well, great. Now we can sell it and pay for her entire college or refinance it, pay for her entire college. Uh, but in the meantime, I make over $1,000 a month every month in cash flow and profit from that house. I get these massive tax benefits by owning that property. And best of all, she gets to learn over the next 18 years or 15 now, she gets to learn the power of real estate investing and how that can change lives. And that's like the best part is because it's going to, it's like a, a real life education moment for her. And so that's uh, this idea of like college hacking, you know, hacking your way to a free college. And so, yeah, my other boy Wilder, uh, right now we are in process of buying him a property. Uh, he's just, uh, he's 11 months old right now. So in the next year, or maybe even the next few months, we're looking at buying a property for him. And it could literally be a single family house. You buy it and just put it on a 15 year mortgage, pay it off. And there's your kid's college education 15 years from now. And the upside is you might get some cash flow in the meantime. You, don't want to, you didn't want to be stuck in there with the 529 plan and you know, just have I, the one. <laughs> I, I could go that route, but you know, I really, rather than me saving money for my kid's college, I'd rather have my tenants saving mm. money for my co- kid's college, right? That's the fun part of that. Is, uh, yep. So like, I mean, there's like, there, it's like this, like there's a lot of ways to save for college, like the 529 and all that stuff. And I'm not saying any of it's, any of it's bad, but I get it goes to that feeling the fire, right? Following the fire. There's like a real estate fire that I have. So why don't I use that to change every other area of my life? And so like if that, I can use that to pay for my kid's college someday. And you know what? I hope my daughter Rosie doesn't go to college. I hope she looks at that money and says, dad, I actually want to invest that in my own real estate or I want to start a business or I want to use that. And if she takes that, if she loses all of it, trying to start a business, you know, like I don't care. Like I just want her to like, I would be so proud of her to take that money. And if she wants to go to college and, you know, learn a career, that's cool too. 
it's her money. But uh, in the meantime, I get to keep that money and helps pay my lifestyle out here in Maui. Love that. Love that. How? So now I'm curious. I need to ask, how did you go from, because I don't know that I know this part of your story. How did you go from where you used to live in Washington and yeah. decide to up and move? Because I think I saw it or heard it one day, maybe on a podcast or read it somewhere. And I was like, what? Oh my goodness. How is he doing this? <laughs> and it was, I think it was a couple of years ago when I first started doing my summers in Hawaii and, and uh, haven't gotten to that point yet where we can move out there, but uh, hopefully one day. But how did you get to that point where you're like, okay, did you guys like just, you know, put a, put a cover over your eyes and throw a dart at the map and say, okay, Pretty here's much. where we're going to go. Or what was it? <laughs> no. What was it that brought you there? No, this is actually really good. This is a really good story. So, so we bought this property. I'll even go back further. So four years ago, roughly now my wife and I sat down on our goal setting retreat. We do our goal setting date. We do every January 1st and we write down our goals. This is four or five years ago. And we wrote down like, where do we want to be in the next five years? What do we want to do in the next 10 years? What do we want to do this year? We do it every year on January 1st. And this, this particular year, uh, I said, I don't know if my wife or I, but one of us said within, within five years from now, we want to own a property in Hawaii that we can go visit often, maybe live there uh, and have an extra unit for family and friends to come stay at. That was what we wrote down there. Cause we, we like Hawaii. We visited there a number of times. It's kind of our favorite vacation place. And so we just wrote down that goal and we didn't really make much more action towards it other than just continuing to go to Hawaii. And then two years later, then after that point, we had a five-year goal. Two years later, we had bought our house in Hawaii and moved here uh, to kind of, so kind of walk you through how that happened. We, we spent a month. I decided to go, actually, the reason I spent a month is because I, I tried surfing in California and I loved it. I just loved everything about it. I did a <laughs> surfing lesson down there in Southern California. And like, I would just, I was out in the water for like three hours and like, I just could not get enough of it. I never stood up one time. I, and I just, I kept trying over and over and crashing and falling. And I was like, no, I, I really wanted to learn this. So I was like, all right, the only way I'm going to learn this because I don't, you know, I lived in Washington and we just, you know, people don't really surf there they do, but they're crazy. Uh, but you know, so I was like, the only way I'm going to learn this is if I really spend like a long time learning it. So I actually got home from that trip and I booked a month in Hawaii. My wife and I went out there for a month, stayed in an Airbnb and I surfed like three times a week with a, with a guy I knew out there. And he just kind of taught me to surf. And so that month was amazing. We were on Oahu. And then a year later, we're like, let's go back. But a month wasn't long enough. Let's go for three months. Let's see if we can do it. <laughs> so we went for three months and stayed in an Airbnb on Oahu. And it was amazing also. And we're like, ah, oh, man, three months isn't enough. So toward the end of the three months, we started looking around for houses. We're like, could we do this? And we're looking at houses on Oahu. And there was, you know, houses for like 700 grand. We're like, oh, my yeah. gosh, that's so expensive. See, I'd come from. I came from Washington where the, the most expensive house in my area was like 300 grand. And that was like a nice house, right? Uh, I pretty much bought the nicest house or the most expensive house in my town. So going to like double that more than double, almost triple it. I just, I couldn't fathom that. Right. So we yeah. looked around, couldn't find a house that made sense. Couldn't find a neighborhood that made sense and couldn't find like the vibe. It's, it's all like got to go together. Right. When you buy a primary yeah. residence. So couldn't find it. So we're like, all right, well, Hawaii wasn't meant to be. Let's move to Nashville instead. Because that was our other option. <laughs> so we decided, okay, it's more like we just have to make a decision. We're done. We're moving to Nashville. So then that weekend, a buddy uh, had come out from who lived on Maui, came out to Oahu. And we went surfing together. And he's like, no, you got to come check out Maui. Come look at it. So we flew over here. We landed. 
my daughter fell asleep in the car within five minutes. And so we're just driving around like the first hour we got to Maui, driving down this highway. And as I always do, like not always, but you know, you see a open house sign. So I'm like, yeah, we should go look at it. Right. So I pull into this open house. Oh my gosh. I, I walk up to this house that has an open house and I'm standing on the lanai, like the front porch, the lanai. Mm-hmm. And it's like this like 270 degree, like ocean view. And there's a pool and there's an extra unit down below and another unit in the back. So it's a three unit. It's got a tennis court in the back. And I'm like, this is it. Like I found my house. <laughs> like, and it was like, it was like one of those things. Like I felt like you ever have those moments in life where like almost like deja vu where yeah. like, it's almost like in a past life you live there and then you mm-hmm. see it. And I was like, Oh, that's my house. Like I, I knew it so clearly <sighs> so when crazy. I saw it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. this mm-hmm. is it. The problem was it was $1.7 million. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> There is no way I'm going from a $280,000 house as my last one was to a one point. There's no way I can afford that. Zero way I can do that. And so I call up my buddy, David Green, who is my host on the podcast with me. And I'm like, David, I found this house is amazing. It would be so cool to live here. It's like my house, but there's no way I can afford it. And he, and he challenged me on that. And he said, well, he's like, why do you say that? And I was like, well, I mean, it's just, I mean, it would be like an $8,000 a month mortgage payment. And he's like, okay, well, let's walk through some math. What can you rent out the other units for? And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I could rent out the back one for a couple grand and the other one for probably three grand. He's like, so in other words, you could live for like, if you rented at total, you'd make, you'd bring in five grand a month, maybe 5,500. If you're, if you get a good tenant, uh, you know, good price and you're living for 2,500 a month, maybe three grand. And I'm like, Oh, I guess that's not very different than buying a $300,000 house uh, and taxes are super low here. Right? So in other words, so he's like, okay, so Brandon, let me, he's like, let me ask you this. Let's say you had to rent out your house and you had to give up cause you couldn't afford it. You had to move back to the mainland people stop buying your books and you can't make any more money from real estate, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I have to move back to the mainland and live in a, in my old, you know, one of my crappy rentals, right. In an alleyway in Grace Harbor, Washington. He's like, what could you rent that? <laughs> yeah. He's like, what could you rent that upstairs for? I was like, oh, probably about five grand a month. He's like, okay. So you're telling me you can bring in 10 grand a month on this and your mortgage is only going to be eight grand a month. And I'm like, yeah, but then you have, you know, like some costs and, you know, some fees and, you know, you know, repairs and maintenance. He's like, okay. So worst case scenario, you own a multi-million dollar property with an right. ocean view in Maui <laughs> on a 30-year mortgage. And that's the worst case scenario and you're making money? And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, so anyway, we bought the house and uh, today I rent out the back house uh, to a friend of mine. We actually keep the basement open right now for family and friends, mm-hmm. like mostly family that comes and visits a lot. But if I ever have to, I can immediately rent that off. If, if money gets tight at any point in the future, fine. I can rent out that. I can even live in the back house or the downstairs if I had to. I don't, don't really expect that. But that's like the power of house, some house hacking yeah. in Hawaii right. in a multi-million dollar property that's going to be worth three, four, five million dollars 30 years from now. Uh, yeah. Because like, you know, and, and it's just win, 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 win. So anyway, that's how I ended up here in Maui. Oh my goodness. Such a cool story. I feel like that's so much of my story too. I spent a month in 2018. Then I was like, that's not enough. I spent two months last summer. I was going to spend two months this uh-huh. summer. Obviously that didn't happen, but yeah, haven't yet to, to find my $1.7 million house that yeah. I'm going to help. Yeah. When you find that piece, you're going to be like, <laughs> I will do anything it takes to get this done yeah. and you get it done. And uh, it's, it's so much like when you live in a place, I mean, like there's nothing wrong with Washington, but there's like, when I got to Hawaii, there's like, not like an entrepreneurial vibe here at all, but there's just an energy that I didn't have where I lived before. So yeah. I'm actually like doing, I mean, like I've, you know, 10 X almost like more than 10 X my business the last two years since being here, like yeah. probably quadrupled, maybe, maybe more than that. My income, 
uh, like yeah. all these, like written a couple books since then, like all this stuff, because now like I'm where I'm meant to be. Like, I'm, yep. I just feel so much vibrancy and like love here that you're yeah. able to like grow all other areas of your life. So yeah. So yep. you should move to Hawaii. That's the, yeah. That's yeah. I'm, I'm, it's in the process. <laughs> We're figuring go. out. Yeah, no, I know. I feel like when you find your groove, it's like yeah. things just like 10 X so quickly. And it's such a hard thing to be yep. able to quantify and to be able to say, here's what's going to happen if you do X and you don't know until you actually do it. It's like when I quit my job, I had like no idea this was going to happen and all these yeah. wonderful things with Annie and real estate was going to happen. And here we are, but it's like, you had to, you had to take that leap of faith to, to see if something could happen. And, yes, uh, yes, exactly. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, let's move into the investing for good impact round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. Sure. So first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? I'll go with this one. I mean, there's the obvious like, you know, house in Maui, pool, ocean, I get to surf. But what, <laughs> what led me to syndication actually and we don't really cover this much but besides just like growth i like growing and whatever else but I, I didn't need to do syndication i didn't need to get bigger stuff what i did is i went to nashville where i have a lot of friends in nashville and i hung around with one of my friends who's a grammy award-winning music producer has a music company he owns and he's got like this team of like four or five core people who love what they do they're all top of their game i mean like these people are like most of them have won grammys as producers and in, in, in the industry like they are top of their game working with some of the biggest artists in the world and they work together. They show up when they want. They go home when they want. They have lunch together. They Their families get together on the weekends. They're like, it's just such this like culture, community, business, doing meaningful work with amazing people. And I saw that and I was like, that, that is what I want. Like that is what I want. Like more than the money, right? So yeah. syndication allows a team effort, right? Mm -hmm. So now I have, I have four or five people now, some might actually more like 10 on my team, but out here in Maui, I have four, I think five people now in Maui that are top of their game, that are amazing people that are doing meaningful work. We get together on the weekends, we surf together, we hang out together. Like more people are moving out here to Hawaii just to be part of that. Uh, I can attract that talent because it's a cool like core culture we have, right? So yeah. I have what I wanted there. So that is what real estate has given me a better life is by enabling me to build a core like team community uh, vibe here, mm -hmm. culture that I didn't have before. So that's, that's what real estate lets you do, especially at this higher level. I love that. I love that so much. I feel like that's what Annie and I do. It's not even about the money. It's about her and I and the synergies yeah. and building and yep. growing our team and impacting other people and investors and, you know, even our partners. And it, it's wild. And for me, that means more than, than anything. It's, it's, you know, having that impact, um, yeah. you know, in, in what we do. So I love that. Love that. All right. Second question, investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or life hack? I know you've got many of them, but what is like the number one thing that you might be able to share with the audience that will help them catapult their investing journey? I'll give a really simple one, but it's so powerful and everyone knows it, but nobody does it. I call it the most important next step or M-I-N-S. If, mm -hmm. if most things in life, almost everything, whether you're trying to take down a 500 unit apartment complex for $50 million, or you're trying to just run a mile, it doesn't matter. Everything you do in life typically comes down to a like, five minute or less task, mm -hmm. a series of five minute or less tasks. So for example, like 
if I wanted to go like right now, I can like, let's use myself for an example here. I, I want to buy, we're, we're 13 million short of our goal for the year on what we want to buy for real estate. I think we'll get there because uh, we still have a few months left. We just got to get under contract by January 7th is our goal uh, to get another $13 million property or greater. Okay. If that's what I got to do, that sounds like an overwhelming goal. But in reality, what's my most important next step? Well, my most important next step is I've got to, you know, uh, I got to analyze a few more deals. No, it's not. I can go deeper. Uh, I got to talk to a broker. No, I can go deeper. Uh, I need to go on LoopNet, find the name of the broker of that mobile home park I saw earlier and call him. Even forget calling. Like the, the task I have to do is go on LoopNet and find a phone number, right? Like it is a literally five minute task that I have to do. The problem is if I don't identify what that task is, then it goes sometimes days, weeks, or months before accomplishing it. So the tip I have for people is if every single day you simply ask yourself, what are, what are my goals or what is my goal or goals? And then what is the most important next step to accomplish that? You can accomplish so much more in life, so much faster uh, because what stops us is not our inability to accomplish goals. It's that we haven't defined what the next step is. And if you just get into that cadence of know my goal, know my next step, know my goal, know my next step, uh, you'll just, you'll, you'll blow up your life. It'll be amazing. Oh, I that love wild. that. That's M I N S most important next step. It comes back to clarity is power. And I think so many people, you know, they don't take the time or they don't take the effort or they just, it's this big thing, you know, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? Oh, I can't, I can't do it. I, I don't know where to start. But if you define that one little spoonful, I, I hate that I picked this analogy because it's, it's kind of gruesome eating an elephant. Now I'm thinking about it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> one spoonful at a time, right? But one next step at a time. Love that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Last question is investing in the world. So what is one thing that your investments are doing right now to make the world a better place? So this might be something that people might laugh at, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, I think that we provide or we're attempting to solve the low income housing issue in America, like I said earlier, right? So by, by mobile home parks, because most of what we buy are mismanaged, they're run down, they're, the tenants are treated terribly. And so we're we're a big believer in like, if we can buy these properties, like, yeah, you and I would probably never want to go live in a mobile home. And a lot of people give me flack for buying mobile homes. They say that's like, that's where low-income people end up living and like, I'm just taking advantage of poor people. But in reality, like, a lot of these people would not live anywhere. They'd be having to live in somebody else's, uh, you know, spare bedroom or they'd be homeless if they weren't living in one of these properties. Uh, and so I think we are providing housing for thousands of people uh, over the next decade, maybe even tens of thousands of people that would normally have worse landlords, worse properties, and maybe be homeless. So that, that's, I feel like we're giving back in that way quite a bit. And obviously, yes, we're making a profit doing it, but you know, that's kind of the best kind of business to be in is where you're helping and making a profit. A hundred percent. That impact is exactly why Julie and I got into this as well as to, I mean, for that one resident that you can help to provide a cleaner, better, safer place to live, it makes a world of difference. So yeah. that's fantastic. Brandon, I know that <laughs> there's pretty much nowhere you can go in the real estate world and not <laughs> hear your name, but mm. where do you want to direct people if they do want to um, seek you out, connect with you, learn more about all that you're doing these days. Sure. So I, I do a lot of Instagram stuff. I'm like a 13 year old girl on Instagram. I'm on the, <laughs> on, on the, on the gram. So I'm on the gram at Beardy Brandon, like beard with the Y, Beardy Brandon. And then my actual like company is odcfund.com. 
like opendoorcapitalodcfund.com. All right. Brandon Turner, Vice President of Bigger Pockets, co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, prolific author, entrepreneur, and real estate investor. Brandon, thank you so much for sharing your infinite wisdom and experience with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. This was uh, this is a lot of fun. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast, and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.